Welcome to another episode of Business School. My name is Phineas Ellis. I am the co-founder of Stereotype Studio, a podcast production company. And my name is Stephen Cool. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Burrow, a direct-to-consumer furniture brand. This is a show where we explore the many aspects of consumer startup culture and explore a lot of the more recent trends that go on in real time from the perspective of founders, investors, executives, etc. in the space. Today's episode, again, is going to be a little bit different. As you guys know, we have been interviewing a number of different founders from different companies over the past several weeks and talking about their story and then taking a specific topic and diving deeper into it. Today, we are going to talk about Burrow, Stephen's company. I think Burrow is one of those companies that we would have on this show if Stephen was not a part of it. We'd have Stephen on and we would talk about Burrow. And I think the topic we would probably focus on is how has Burrow, an e-commerce furniture business, been affected by a global pandemic where all of the furniture stores in the country and world, for the most part, are closed. And so that's what we're going to do today. And I'm going to play the role of interviewer and Stephen's going to be in the hot seat a bit. And we're going to dig into it. How does that sound? I like to talk, so this is great. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Um, <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i going to kick it off right off the bat. COVID hits in February, March. What was the immediate impact on your business? What was the first oh shit moment? Well, the first moment actually was not related to my business at all. I got legally married the day that the stock market crashed. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And our they give you a little ticket like at the deli counter when you're at City Hall to to get married and our our ticket no joke said CO-19. It was hilarious. Wow. So that was the first introduction to COVID and I was supposed to <laughs> I was supposed to go skiing that weekend in, in Park City and my now wife was supposed to go on a bachelorette trip to Aspen and we both canceled our trips and I scheduled a meeting with my exec team. We went to the office and you know, we'd been hearing about things and it was we talked to our some of our investors. We had had a board meeting like a week or two before this. And the conversation w- was pretty dark. It was like we don't know what's going to happen with this, but let's buckle down, be prepared for potentially a massive recession. This could this could this could cripple the business. So like, how do we prepare for this? And we're like, well, let's wait and see. And then stock market crashed and we canceled our trips. And I called my executive team. We met that weekend at the office and we're like, let's talk about how we're going to handle this. Like we, we we thought we were screwed. Was there a part of you at that point though, in the back of your mind that was like, this actually could benefit us long-term or not yet? No, not yet because nobody knew how long this would last or how the world was going to operate in quarantine it was we were still like oh are people in italy are they going to bring it here like what's going to get shut down i don't know like it it really took until like april like mid-april for people to start to realize what was happening and even then people had all this hope that it was going to get resolved somewhat quickly and i'm sure you were worried about your supply chain as well right you were like factories production people how do we how are we going to continue to get products in the hands of customers so we just started producing products in Vietnam and because they do a lot of really great bent plywood and, and wood products there. And so I was immediately worried about the supply chain there, but we produce all of our seating right now in North Carolina. And so it was like, 
I think we're fine for now in like rural North Carolina. If a virus were to spread and not be as literally viral as COVID is, you'd expect it to be big in cities, but not in rural areas. Right. Um, now it's everywhere, obviously. But yeah, we, we, we had no idea. We had no idea what to expect. We were just like, we were. I think we were less concerned about supply chain initially. And then it was just about consumer demand is going to drop if there's a recession. And so how are we going to weather that? It quickly morphed into once it was like, you know, are you an essential business? Everything shut down unless you were an essential business. And our factory was deemed essential because they were also making hospital gowns and masks. Got it. So fast forward to April or so when you're like, okay, people are now companies and just across the country, people are now focusing on work from home. Is it becoming a thing? Businesses are still closed. Cities are mandating that companies cannot open their retail businesses. Still a majority, I don't know what percentage of furniture I would imagine in this country is purchased in store in person. 80% pre-COVID. So tell me about that moment where you started to really say, Oh my goodness, people are wanting to build home offices and buy a lot of furniture and don't and don't have an option to go into store. This is going to have a significant impact on our business potentially and then what that started what what that was like. So we heard about the home office thing, but we we don't sell desks yet. Right. We obviously changed our product roadmap. I'm not going to hide that. We're we're going to make the most kick-ass home office desk, but it's not going to come out right away. But yeah, like we heard about that and then we're like, okay, is this going to impact our categories? And then we started seeing our sales go up. And as time played out, you start to realize there's a number of factors at play. There is the fact that you just can't buy furniture in stores at all. So you're going to buy online. And then we realized, okay, what do we compete against the most in our in our customers' wallets? For share of wallet, we compete with travel. Our customers are... Wealthy customers who live in or near major metro areas and they travel a lot, right? That's how they spend their disposable income. And if you're spending, you're stuck at home, you're spending all this time at home and you can't travel, what are you going to spend your money on? You're going to buy furniture. You're going to upgrade your home. And that hit us. It hit Wayfair. It hit every furniture company that could deliver in a, in a really positive way. Who sold online, right? If, if you didn't have an online presence, you're screwed. But we we could not have been more optimized for e-commerce. Talk about contactless delivery. We deliver via UPS ground shipping. It arrives at your doorstep. You don't have to be home when it gets there. It comes in boxes. It's like anything else. So you can buy it. It arrives very quickly. And you don't have to interact with a human being to get inside your home and set it up. So we like we were perfectly set up for this. I mean, it, it, it was one of those things that you could never, ever, ever forecast. And yes, it, it, like there's an element of your psyche that's like, how do I feel good about this when people are actually dying because of this? But at the same time, you're like, logically, you're like, well, we didn't make this pandemic. We would never choose to have this happen. It's an awful thing, but it's happening. This is reality. And we are perfectly set up to benefit from it. So how do we capitalize on this? Right. I mean, look, you've been through ups and downs. You know, you there's been plenty of things that have happened that have screwed you in, in the same format. This is what it, this is what being an entrepreneur is on some level. It is about capitalizing on the good things and mitigating the the bad things and keeping it moving. So tell me how how significant was the impact on your business 
immediately. From Q1 to Q2, we nearly tripled. Like revenue, revenue in Q2 was almost triple revenue in Q1. That's <laughs> and keep in mind, we are a business that is growing. Yeah, our our our, our Kager compound annual growth rate from our first year. We can't to, go too heavy into. I appreciate <laughs> you explaining that because it's it's pretty the abbreviation financial acumen. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it's basically if you took one annual growth rate and applied it from the first year to whatever year you're in, you'd get from your first year to your current year because it's it's lumpy. It's never the same. Right. Our compound annual growth rate was over a hundred percent. Wow. Coming into this, and then we tripled from Q1 to Q3. It, we also has that growth sustained. I mean, we've not tripled every quarter, no. But uh, yeah, the increase in traffic, conversion rate, the decrease in acquisition costs, all of that has sustained. It's actually kept growing. So we we so we is funny when when COVID hit in the very beginning, we made this new model that slashed all of our expectations. We thought we were screwed, and we actually went out to our existing investors and said like, let's raise a little bit more money. Just to have some cushion to weather the storm. I think we'll be okay. People will still need furniture. And we did say all these things like, yeah, like people will be spending time at home. Like they'll need furniture. So like I, I don't think we'll be killed, but like who knows what will happen. And in that process, that's when we started taking off and it shifted from that to, oh, wow, this could be huge. So let's, let's capitalize op- on the opportunity. So then probably right away after that, significant growth quarter to quarter you looked at your numbers and then you said oh shit we probably have to change some of how we operate this business we probably have to add some additional staff we probably have to pad some areas that are going to need some support to support this level of traffic sales delivery what were some of the immediate things that you needed to change at your business in order to deliver on this growth or meet this demand yeah, we, we had to hire people, which was a very surreal experience. We, we've now hired several people. We don't hire people remote. We had one remote employee before this, but we had met him several times in person. He was a consultant that we brought on full time. So like we knew Cam when we brought him on full time. Everyone else we've hired to be in person and to hire somebody totally remote in the interview process and then have them roll on. It's just, it was just very different, but it's one of those things, like as with everything else in COVID, you just accept this new reality or temporary reality that you have to live in. And it's fine. It's gone well. We've hired a couple of people in that, but yeah, we we had, we had to scale up. The, the, The hardest challenge was honestly getting production up. Like we had to scale up our existing manufacturer. And then we also had to continue to launch new products we're trying to capitalize on this opportunity you want to offer as many new products as possible but traditionally if you're making new products you go to the factory and you prototype with them like they make a version of it and you're there in person and you do rapid iterative prototyping to tweak the design to get it where you want now we're doing video reviews and having them ship the product to us which costs a fortune now and then reviewing it and sending it back, like your timelines get expanded by like 10x and the cost goes up. It's miserable. I say that. There are so many businesses that have been struggling during this time. And so like we're happy to deal with it, right? Like I'm, I would take this 10 times out of 10 over the alternative, but it, it's hard. There's, there's a lot of challenges that come out of this. So I'm going to ask you some of the questions that I would ask a different entrepreneur if they were in this chair. And one of those, and I think you and I have been pretty consistent with guests, 
in touching on some similar themes. Growth versus profitability. This was our first ever episode on the show. Uh, on some level, it was- Best show. I think it was our best episode. I agree. Uh, and on some level, it was part of the inspiration to do a podcast on startups because of the transition from a focus on high growth to profitability and the nuance of that conversation. Talk to me about that in terms of Burrow. Were you profitable prior to COVID? What has that journey been like? And then where are you now? We were not profitable pre-COVID. We are functionally profitable now. I say that I'm not going to get into the details about it, but like we are on a cash flow basis wildly profitable right now because we're we have no inventory, right? Because we're back ordered and we have sales that continue to grow and it's great. But like if we were to be in our steady state, like we can fulfill orders immediately when they are placed and deliver them within a week. If we were in that steady state, we would be profitable right now. Tell tell me about that. What that means? So I'll break it down in the way that I understand it. So I guess the question I'm asking, and I think the question we should be asking all entrepreneurs is, when I, as a customer, I'm a customer, I order a sofa online through Burrow. Are you making money on that one order when you include all in the cost, how much money you pay to acquire that customer wherever you acquire them? That all in cost, are you profitable order to order? Yes. So we've always been profitable well, not always, but for the last over a year, we've been profitable on you place an order, whatever you pay me, less the discount and the credit card processing fee, less the cost to pay the factory for the product, less the cost to ship it to you, less the marketing cost to acquire you as a customer. Yes, l- less that cost as well. Less that cost. Because that's we the make, big... Well, yeah, but if you don't do that, you have a shitty business. Right. As we've talked about. In the right. So we made money there. But you, you multiply that average profit margin, the unit contribution margin, you, you multiply that times the number of orders that you've taken, that needs to be greater than the monthly operating cost of your business to be profitable, which is rent, salaries, uh, legal fees, accounting, R&D, whatever you spend on a monthly basis that, that is separate from the cost of goods sold, the cost of shipping, et cetera, cost of marketing. That's how you become profitable. We were always profitable on a unit economics basis, or we have been for a while, where we had a plan to be profitable overall by the end of 2020. That was the goal. We got there in Q2. COVID accelerated it big time. Got it. And what's funny is the way we were going to get to profitability was by launching all these new products. COVID slowed down our new product launches massively as i just talked about like we extended timelines by months or even a year like we were supposed to launch uh our our new sofa that's about to come out literally like later this month in october it was supposed to come out in june we were supposed to launch bed frames next month they're coming out like in may of next year maybe sooner hopefully sooner but most likely may like we're talking like six plus months of delay so that should delay our profitability but Marketing costs have been so cheap and demand has been so strong that that has accelerated our path to profitability. And our goal and our, like our mandate to ourselves as a business is, okay, now that we've gotten there early through these other external factors, by the time that some of these factors wear off, we need to have implemented all these other things that we originally planned on, these new products to get us to profitability. So that way we just stay profitable permanently. Yeah. So tell me about that. What are the, how do you capitalize on this long-term COVID's going to end? 
eventually there will be a vaccine stores are going to reopen your your old competitors are going to become competitors again how do you use this time to get far enough ahead that some of these advantages are sustained so our biggest competitor is now an ally who is that west elm we sell on west elm's website now so if you want to buy burrow from west elm go for it we we love them but if you want to buy a different product in west elm don't do that well if we don't sell that product you should if you want a dining table today you should buy west elm's dining table. but tables. they sell multiple brands of dining table not or if they sell multiple no. brands of couches not just burrow you're not an exclusive couch provider at west elm we are one of three brands of sofas that they sell at west elm there's west elm burrow and there's another one got it okay I'm not going to give them press. <laughs> <laughs> um, got it. So, okay. So that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's a great strategic partnership. It's great. So some of the trends that are here to stay, there is a shift to e-commerce that, as you pointed out, less than 20% of all furniture was sold online pre-COVID. Who are the people who are buying online pre-COVID? It's our core customer, right? But then as COVID happened, you have all these people that got on the fringe, right? There's there's people who, who really strongly prefer to buy in store. Maybe they stopped buying in store and are just waiting, or maybe they bought online a little bit, but they're going to go back to in-store when, 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 when that reopens. But there's enough people on the fringe who are like, you know what? I've just never been over that hump to buy online. I really need to try it out in person. They were forced to buy it online. And when they did, at least if they did it with Burrow, they realized like that was really easy. This is great. If I didn't like it, I can return it. If I have a problem, I call their team and their team's amazing to deal with and it's easy to get it fixed. And so all of those people are here to stay, right? Like they're going to buy e-commerce for the rest of their lives. They're they're like, screw this. Going to stores sucks. This was the easiest process. I'm e-commerce for life. So if e-com went from 20 to 80, it'll settle. Who knows where it settles out post-COVID. But I think we've probably leapt forward in that trajectory by like five to 10 years. So that that is a permanent change that is a positive benefit for us and any other e-commerce company. There is like the fact that we are not competing with travel, that'll go away. That'll fade. I don't think it's going to be immediate. There's no switch that's going to get flipped when there's a vaccine and people immediately start traveling everywhere. Like it'll by 2023, it'll be back to normal. And the other thing is moving. There's this quote unquote mass exodus from from cities, right? People are saying, why do I live in a city? I'm in close contact with all these people, whatever. I'm going to move to the suburbs, have more space. It's really happening now to some degree. It's going to continue to happen for a while. People are realizing, hey, maybe I do value space more. And I don't need to be in a city. It costs a lot of money to be there. And if something like this happens again, which I think a lot of people would say maybe it will, they're going to leave. And and so this long tail effect of people moving is great for us because anytime people move, they buy furniture. And you don't care whether they're moving to the city or out of the city. In a lot of ways, Burrow was founded on the idea that people move into cities and need an easy way to deliver product to a city, up a walk up in a small New York City apartment. Now they're moving out of the city. They need new furniture. They need to buy it from somewhere. If the people migrate back into the cities again, it's good for you as well. It is actually. Nobody likes to put their couch in a U-Haul and bring it. They just want to buy a new one at this point for certain customers. Yeah, unless it's ours and it's really easy to move. There you go. You uh, you can literally move a Burrow sofa in a Fiat. Okay, I'm going to try really hard to not make this a huge Burrow promo, but 
but that's true. That's a good point. It is. I will say over half of our customers live outside of cities. Right. So like, I don't care where they're moving. If they're our customer, great. Yep. If you're not our customer, it, it's fine. It doesn't matter. But like this, I think this benefits us, but it, it benefits most of the furniture industry. Like the fact that Wayfair is booming just as much as us, just as much as restoration hardware. I mean, talk about like low end, you know, mid range to the highest end. It's all the same. Everybody's benefiting. Yeah. So want to switch a little bit to culture. Obviously, we acknowledge that for most of the world, and if not most of the startup community, this is an incredibly challenging time. So businesses are shuttering, businesses are struggling. Burrow happened to be in an, in a position to benefit from this and from a revenue perspective, at least. Talk about the shift to work remote team morale i would imagine the culture of your company top to bottom has shifted what has that been like to be now working fully remote and to be hiring people and never meeting them in person how are you keeping employees motivated engaged productive what has that been like first and foremost we have an employee base that is very dedicated to what we want to accomplish they believe in the product. They believe in what our vision is. And they like working here. Like It's taken a lot to cultivate the culture we have today. And so I think that helps because now that we're in a position where we all see this incredible opportunity to capitalize on the situation that we have, we know it's going to be a lot of hard work. But anytime you have positive momentum forward, that really helped. It's It would be much harder if we were declining during this time to keep people motivated, right? People are like, hey, we're growing it's not easy to deal with this, but we're growing. So like we got to keep pushing on and I see that there's benefit from this. So that's big. In terms of mental health, I think the first step was acknowledging that this pandemic situation impacts everybody in a different way. And it's it doesn't matter if it's big or small in your mind for how it's impacting you. It's real. And some people in our company literally lost family members to like to COVID. And there's other people that are just struggling with depression. There's other people struggling with, you know, motivation. Like it, it doesn't really matter what other people are struggling with. Whatever you yourself are struggling with is real to you. And if it's hard for you to get out of bed at any, any given day, which it has been for everybody, anybody who says that they haven't had a day during COVID where they're just like, what the fuck is going on is is lying to you. And it's because, and I've read a bunch of articles about this, like your brain is constantly searching for evidence from the past of how to deal with the situation in order to apply it to the current situation that you're in. And nobody has anything to draw from the past to apply to the current situation. And so your brain's constantly in this like state of like, what the fuck do we do? Like, how do we, how do I handle this? I can't, I can't handle this. I don't know how to react. And that's what they're calling COVID brain is like how people are reacting to this. And it's real. And it doesn't matter if you've lost someone or not, like you're, you're dealing with this situation. And I think the, the biggest thing or most important thing that, that we could do as a leadership team at Borough was say to all our employees, like, we understand this is happening. We know it's happening to you. It's happening to us too. And I was the first one to say, like, I have days. I know we're doing well. There's days where I, I just honestly want to do nothing more than just stare at the TV or go back to sleep. And that's okay. Like, like you're going to have those days. If you need to take time, take it. Like talk to your team, figure it out. We're all doing this together. And I think just 
opening up to people on the team and letting them know that this is real and this everyone's experiencing this like that helped a lot and then just you know we do happy hours and whatever we do like fun events virtually and then when people say like hey i'm getting sick of this it's like okay what else can we do and just listening and talking to employees and asking them like what do you need to be successful that's actually why we reopened our office like it's not required but there was there were some people that were like i really love to come back in the office you need to see people and so we're like okay we'll go through the protocol to make it safe and if you want to come in you can sign up and come in but you don't have to if if it's not convenient for you don't do it and other employees were like hey i know we said we're probably not coming into the office until the certain date but like if i go and live with my parents at this like location and that's going to be longer than when we go back to the office is that okay and it was like yeah whatever you need to do like just do it like as long as we're all being productive and communicating with one another, that's what matters most. You're not work remote permanently then? No, no, we're not. We're, we're not. Like there is still, there's still... You have a plan to come back. Yeah, yeah. There's magic in working in person. Like there's a lot of, like everyone, there's something unnatural about permanently. Um, I just read Dropbox is now work remote indefinitely. I think Twitter is, you know, it's all, all, all on trend right now is to be work remote forever. We're now this, you know, forward thinking company that... You know, we can always work remote and you can be on a beach and just as productive. What are your thoughts on that? If I had a, a like a soul patch and a, and a man bun and I ran Twitter, I would think. That's right. Well, you are. You're the East Coast version of that, right? Isn't that? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so you're not work remote permanently. I, I agree, man. I feel the same way. I'm, I I would be the person that would be saying, I want to come back to the office and work. I, I really enjoy I always enjoyed the energy of being in an office with team members and I just think in some ways you could argue that people are less productive because of the distractions of an office I just think that camaraderie and connection to the vision and direction of the company and the culture of the company really matters especially for young people that are basically working just on the belief that they're working for something greater than themselves I mean it is so important for motivation camaraderie for people to on the customer experience team to deliver great service to people, you have to believe in what you're doing. You have to believe that you work for a good place. You have to believe in the leadership, the product, the mission. All those things really do matter. They sound like buzzwords, but they really matter for things like when you're interacting with a customer, you can have either low energy or you can have high energy. And that's the difference between giving somebody a great experience and then ultimately having a uh, increasing the lifetime value of that customer for sure. Totally agree. There are, there are exceptions. Like we have now two engineers full time that are remote and those jobs are predominantly, you know, locked in coding. Sure. It's fine. And we will probably be more flexible in the future about hiring teams that are spread out across the country because we're used to it now. But that doesn't change the fact that like even remote employees permanently will be flown into New York to interact with everybody on the team at least once every two months. So how has this changed the trajectory of Burrow? Said in a different way, how should we think about Burrow now as opposed to before COVID? Like, what's the future look like? Are you, you know, obviously profitable, which is really exciting. Are you going to raise more money are you going to be able to ride this wave into the sunset? And what is how has this changed the trajectory, the timeline, and the future of Bro? It was as if we jumped in a time machine and fast-forwarded by a year. Got it. 
is my, my my most honest answer because product launches were delayed a lot and growth was accelerated. So it'd be like literally if you fast forwarded by a year, which is great because it gets us to profitability, as you pointed out. In the, in the long run, it doesn't change anything. We were always building on trends that were long-term trends, shifts to e-commerce, focus on functionality and value in the products that you're that you're buying these are you know these are things that were always going to be important only going to be increasingly important as time went on and this just accelerated it so it's it's been a blessing in that sense but it doesn't change the long-term trajectory it has changed how excited changed how excited other people have gotten in our business we've definitely gotten a lot of investors reaching out and saying like hey like what's going on with your company? Like we heard furniture is doing well. There was a point in time, beginning of COVID people like, Oh, furniture is really like lucky right now. They're all benefiting from this. And then it became like, Oh shit. Like this isn't like a temporary boost. This is a permanent change that e-commerce furniture is the future. And this is changing how consumers shop for furniture. Maybe we should pay more attention to this category when Previously, it had not been in, uh, in, it was, you know, tech. Tech was the category, as it should be, that investors focus on. I don't think furniture is like a sexy category for investors to look at, but now it kind of is. So would your advice be to larger retail legacy businesses to just double down on their e-commerce infrastructure and say, hey, I mean, we're going to hopefully reopen our stores and be profitable in store, but... We need to double down on omni-channel and level up our e-commerce business significantly, not because of COVID, because this is where we were trending anyways, and we're just much further along than we were pre-COVID. Would that be your advice to VPs, presidents, CEOs of larger legacy businesses that rely heavily on brick and mortar? Yeah, it is in general. I think I think it's also about connecting the experiences and making them uniform and it just talk to your customer if you if you're not if if you're not already that's the big you know warning sign but if you are you should talk to them and see what they want like i think it depends on the industry like furniture has accelerated big time to e-commerce a lot of other categories have also accelerated their push into e-commerce i like i don't understand anybody who's investing in malls right now absolutely agree uh that's all my questions man i think that it's been fascinating for me because before we had this podcast, I actually interviewed you on a different show, and this was right after you came out of what you admitted to was a very challenging fundraise. This is pre-COVID. This is Burrow has been in this high-growth category, had raised a bunch of money, had spent a bunch of money and was in that very challenging transition from growth to profitability. And not just on your P&L and from a business operations perspective, but even more so from a cultural perspective of you saying to your team and to yourself, owning up to the fact that you have not necessarily operated in this way up to date, and we are going to make the very difficult decisions and process and cultural changes that need to be made in order to pursue profitability by the end of 2020. So I guess I would like for you to just quickly reflect on that transition a bit 
and obviously you're in a very different place now than you were then. But to your point, you started making that transition prior to COVID. Can you just reflect on that? I mean, we so often ask entrepreneurs to reflect on their entire journey. Can you reflect on that chapter? Yeah. I mean, it's no secret. We struggle in 2019. We had not launched the new products that we knew were going to improve the financial structure of the business. Launching other products was going to bring us to profitability at some point. We're going to continue to grow the number of new customers that we acquire every single quarter, right? Like that's just part of being a startup that's growing and is is successful and whatever. Like you're going to keep acquiring more and more people. But the thing that was going to get us profitable on top, like with that as the baseline was going to be new products. We hadn't really done it yet in 2019 when we did our fundraise, which is why the fundraise was really hard. And I, I got some, it was a really dark time. I got some great advice from some of our angel investors and they were like, you don't need to solve for the rest of your company's life today. You just need to give yourself another year's worth of time to keep fighting. And you have no idea what will happen in the next year. And man, could that, could that advice not have been more spot on for us? And we geared up our business to focus on profitability. We cut a lot of costs. We we made a lot of decisions for the brand that would set ourselves up to once we hit that next level of growth, the scale of the new customers, that would be the tipping point that got us over the hump where, like I said before, that it's increasing the, the, the contribution margin, the profit per sale. And when that hits the point where also by multiplying by the number of new customers that we acquire gets us to be larger than the amount of money we're spending on the monthly operating costs. Like we had it all calculated out and we were like set to get there. Had we not done that, had we not done that preparation, COVID wouldn't have been successful for us. Two years ago, if COVID had happened, we would have been worse off. We were losing money in every sale. We were not set up to become profitable. So you have to have that baseline and we did. And so like that work benefit, it was kind of funny. I, I, I had a chat with Wayfair's CFO. They were doing the exact same thing as us. Now their scale is, you know, they're in $14 billion a year in revenue. A little bit different than what we're doing, <laughs> but they were like, we were gearing up to become profitable and then COVID happened and it accelerated it and we were in the same boat. And so we were so fortunate to have that happen. We were going to get there anyways. It just sped it up. And we're incredibly thankful that it happened. Thank you, Stephen, for sitting in the hot seat today. And we'll do another check-in down the line. I think this is a interesting time. I think all startups change really quickly. I think like everything else, COVID is causing that change to increase significantly. And so I think it's worthwhile for us to check in with Burrow, but also some of our previous guests and their businesses and how they have evolved in the coming months. I think there's there's definitely reason to have people on multiple times. I can't wait to do that. There's a lot of really cool guests that I, I think will be very fascinating to see what they've been doing in the last couple of years once we talk to them again. Great. If you want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do it. The number one way is for you to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this now. We also are in the process of launching a Patreon page. This is a way for you to support the show and get bonus content from Steven and I each week. That URL is patreon.com slash business school. 
Also, please reach out to us with questions that you'd like to have answered on the podcast. You can do that via our Instagram, which is B-School Podcast on Instagram. Thank you so much for your support and listening. We'll talk to you next week. If you are wondering how you could support this show, the best thing you can do is subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Hit the subscribe button so you'll be notified when we come out with a new episode.